back in Daniel. I don't have my Bible with me. Always oh, different using a different Bible, but in chapter 9 and verse 25. And let's pick it up back at verse 17. <clears throat> he says, Now therefore, O God, or our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for thy, the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thy ear and hear, open thine eyes, and behold our desolations, and the city which calleth by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our, our righteousnesses, but for the, uh, thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not. For thine own sake, O my God, for the, uh, thy city, thy people are called by thy name. And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin, and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God, for the holy mountain of my God. Yea, whilst I was speaking in, the, in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening of oblation. And he informed me, and talked with me, and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show, uh, to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore understand the matter, and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people, and upon thy holy city, to finish the transgression, and to make the end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in ever everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Uh, know therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks, uh, the street shall be built again and the wall, uh, even in the troublous times. And so, uh, you can go even uh, further than that, but we won't want to spend a, a lot of time on it. But just to know uh, that this is all designed around the restoration of Israel, and that has not been completed yet. Uh, we do not see Israel uh, complete and in their place and possessing the land as they should. We do not see Messiah the Prince sitting on his throne as he will in the Millennial Kingdom. These are things that are uh, going to come to be in the future. And, and so we look to that. And so what we call this in-between time where God is dealing with us, uh, the church, is just a parenthetical period in between his dealings with Israel. Uh, and so we could go over to Romans chapter 11 and verse 25, and we see uh, the mystery of Israel's blindness uh, stated there. And we can, we can go there real quick. We're just getting started. Romans chapter 11 and verse 25. And so we kind of touched on this yesterday in church, but as you look at um, verse or, or chapter nine of Romans, and Paul really expresses a desire to see all of Israel saved. 
And you know that any uh, person coming up in Israel knows the prophecies that are made concerning Israel. And Paul has a little bit of a special understanding because he had a, a, a revelation from the Lord concerning the things that are happening right now uh, in this dispensation. And so as you get to the beginning, and let's pick it up at verse uh, 5, and then we'll skip forward of chapter 11. Uh, really back to verse 1, and we'll read through uh, verse 7. But he says in, in verse 1, I say then, hath God cast away his people? And so he's looking to the now time and, and the fact that Christ has died on the cross for our sins and has been buried, and we're into a whole new thing that God is doing in his plan and purposes. And so one might look at Israel and the fact that he set them aside and look back in the Old Testament where he says, not my people, and say, well, wait a minute. What's, what's happening with all of these promises that have been made to Israel? So he says in verse 1, I say then, hath God cast away his people, may it never come to be. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. And so here's one proof he gives that Israel has not been cast away. The fact that he uh, was an Israelite and is saved. And so this shows what God is doing with an Israelite in this dispensation right now. If they believe the facts of the gospel, what happens? They become a part of the body of Christ. And so that's one element to it. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What? Uh, what ye not that the scripture saith of Elijah, or uh, uh, Elias, excuse me. How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed a knee to the image of Baal. And so he cites this uh, Old Testament uh, interaction here with Elijah and, and these uh, Jews that were trying to kill him. And he says, well, where, where are all of the saved of Israel? And God's letting him know there's still a remnant that are saved that you might not know anything about. And that's the same thing in this day and time now. There's a remnant of Jews around the world that are saved. And it might look like that God has stopped dealing with Israel, but that's not the case. Um, in verse 5, he says, Even so, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And so there's also elect uh, Israelites that are saved in this dispensation in the same way that we are um, and so he goes through the whole chapter and kind of looks at this attitude that one might have, uh, maybe getting a little full of themselves and saying, well, well God's cast off Israel. He has nothing to do with them. Uh, he's dealing with us. And boy, aren't we good. And he, he answers that question as no, it's, it's nothing of you. Be thankful for the fact that we've been grafted into this place of blessing. And so in verse 20, he says, well, because of unbelief, they were broken off, speaking of Israel as a nation. And thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spare not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the kindness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but on thee kindness, if thou continue in, the, in his goodness. Otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, and uh, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou were cut off or cut out, 
of the olive tree, which is wild by nature and were grafted contrary to nature into a, a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be natural branches, be grafted into their own tree? For I would not have you ignorant, brethren. So here's something that's important to be known. He doesn't want uh, these believers at Rome to be ignorant of these facts, that you, uh, should, you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so at this point in time, we talked about this with the impediments to uh, salvation, I believe, last week. Uh, this hardness, really not here our word for blindness, but this word for hardness of heart that these that are not elect of Israel have right now. And it's stopping the whole nation of Israel from being saved. And the mystery is at a point in time when the Gentiles are all come in, all those that are elect in this dispensation, as far as Gentiles are concerned, God's going to pick back up with his plan and promises uh, for Israel again. And so uh, in verse 26, he says, and so all Israel shall be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Zion, the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And so uh, he could go a whole lot deeper into that, but we don't have the time here to, to continue on there. And that's not our full focus. Uh, we also see uh, that there is a time frame. Uh, you see the resurrection of Christ has greatly impacted this timeline and then uh, the rapture of the saints. And so uh, those that are believers that are saved in this dispensation are saved between that timeline. And then the church of God's uh, it right now is the focus. Uh, but you see the inclusion of Jew and Gentile uh, in this body of Christ is full of uh, saved individuals. Go with me over to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 15 just to support what we saw here. And so at the beginning of that chapter, Paul gave evidence to the fact that there are saved Jews that are saved in this dispensation of grace, but it's even further uh, stated here. And let's pick it up at verse 11. He says, Wherefore, remember that you being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at uh, that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And so as you look back past this dispensation of grace, this would have been the plight of unsaved people, right? As if you're a Gentile, you don't have any connection to God whatsoever. We talked about in the um, uh, yesterday in our sermon, the tearing down of that wall of partition. It not only made a way for Gentiles to have a connection to God, it made a way for Jews to have a closer connection with God than they'd ever had before. Uh, and so you see that there, uh, verse 13. But now in Christ, you that were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, having broken down both one... Uh, having made, excuse me, both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of two or twain one new man, so making peace. And so as you look at uh, both Jew and Gentile, they both fit into this body of Christ and have uh, the same peace and access to God the Father. 
we also see that the Jews will be um, uh, continued on in the tribulation period. And so uh, we talked about this before. Uh, and, and one of the elements of that in this uh, seven years is that they're going to be persecuted as a nation. And so go with me over to Revelations chapter 12 and verse uh, 6. And you see this is part of the purpose of the tribulation period. As God is bringing Israel uh, back to himself. And you get this analogy here of a woman. And it really uh, goes a little deeper than even the time of where he's stating this. It kind of looks at the history of the nation on the whole. Uh, And you can see it as you're reading through. But pick it up in verse 1. He says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars, and she being with child, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew down a third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. So if you uh, read a lot of scripture, you, you see plenty of elements here. And so you see this woman uh, with these uh, uh, 12 different parts are representative of the 12 nations of Israel or the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, and you see this red dragon representative of Satan. Uh, you see this woman ready to be delivered representative of uh, the sun coming into the world. And she uh, brought forth in verse five, a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman, now here we get into the current time as you're looking into the tribulation period. Uh, the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a, excuse me, a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. And there was a war in heaven and Michael and his angels fought against the, the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels and prepare, uh, prevailed not. And neither was their place found uh, any more in heaven. And so you see the, the casting out of uh, uh, the dragon who is the devil uh, and then persecution really picks up. But Uh, The nation of Israel, uh, as it were, a lot of the Jews go out into the desert. Uh, We had interesting conversations concerning this uh, in in uh, seminary and Pastor David taking some pictures of uh, this Petra, this area of Petra that's out in the desert. A lot of people believe that that's where they're they're going to flee to. Uh, but this is not not uh, a great place that you would think you'd want to be uh, as you're hiding out from Satan and his persecution. Not going to be the wonderful, friendly confines of a house or something like that. This is out in the desert again, just like they were uh, when they were running from Pharaoh. Uh, but you see this persecution that picks up of Israel uh, in the middle of the tribulation period. And we also see that uh, the salvation of the Lord. Uh, go with me over to Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse eight. And again, I'd be remiss. Uh, the pastor's not in the room, but I do have to say, this is a chapter he likes to cite all the time <laughs> when he looks at any injustice or injustice in the world. 
um, he comes here. And this is his, one of his favorite parts of scripture. Uh, but in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8, pick it up in verse 3, says, Let no man uh, deceive you by any means, for that day, uh, and really his, his favorite is uh, chapter 1, uh, a chapter ahead, for that day uh, shall not come except there be a falling away first, and that man of sin be real, uh, revealed the son of perdition, who opposes uh, and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye, ye not that when uh, I was with you, I told you these things. And so as you look into the tribulation period, and, and uh, a lot of people like to call this man the Antichrist or uh, this or that. You see him called the beast, uh, the man of lawlessness or the man of sin here. Um, but really, he's only ever referred to uh, by these few names. That name for Antichrist you see in First in, uh, John is not uh, really used specifically of him. But the idea here is that this man in the tribulation period, once he's gotten power over the whole world, he's not just going to stop there. He's going to want people to actually worship him and he's going to declare himself to be God and seek this worship out from people. And if you don't, then you will be uh, absolutely persecuted. In verse five, it says uh, or verse six, it says, and now you know what withhold it, uh, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity, or really here this word for iniquity, we've said it many times before, but it's often used as a blanket to translate a lot of different words. And here this word for iniquity is lawlessness. For the mystery of lawlessness doth already work. Uh, only he that now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now what I believe here, uh, this mystery uh, of, of lawlessness to say is that uh, we understand that Satan has to always have somebody ready because he doesn't know the timeline for God's plans and purposes. And so uh, many say at this point in time in the past, it was Hitler or it was this person that was trying to take over the world. And who knows, it could have been. But what we know is that uh, the Holy Spirit is the one that is restraining Satan from revealing who this man is. And if it were uh, that God said today, uh, it's time for the rapture and we're taken out of the way. No longer a Holy Spirit spirit resident upon this earth. And uh, Satan can go forward with his plan. Uh, so he has one ready at all times. And I think that's what this mystery is speaking to. In verse eight, it says, and then shall the wicked or that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them uh, that perish because they receive not the love of the truth uh, that they might be saved. Um, and so you see here um, again, let's read through verse 11. And for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe uh, a lie really there. Uh, you could say the lie. And so in the tribulation period, it's going to be it's going to be an ugly time. You're going to have all of these things going against you. You talk about not being able to eat unless you have this mark. And if you get this mark, then not being able to be saved. So what a what a conundrum that you're in there. Uh, but this is all going on. And the backdrop of this is this man is, is wanting to be worshipped. 
and he's actually uh, going to reach out and try to persecute Israel more. Uh, but what's the end of it? And what's the salvation of everybody that believes? It's that the son is coming back and is going to destroy this man along with Satan and along with his false prophet and cast him right into uh, the lake of fire. And so we see that. Um, the last piece of this is the millennial kingdom. And so at the end of it, well, I, I skipped over one, excuse me. Uh, we see the judgment of the sheep of the sheep and the goats coming at the end of the uh, tribulation period. And so go back with me to Matthew chapter 25 and verse 32. Matthew 25, 32. And so as you put this together with some of the other things we uh, read, especially that uh, in Re uh, Romans where it says all of Israel shall be saved, you understand that uh, these coming in after this sheep and goats judgment are all saved Israelites. And so it is truly, as scripture says, that righteousness can settle down and feel at home. Why? Because you have the Lord resident upon this earth, and he's established all righteousness. He's the king. You have uh, angels that are enforcing, uh, that make sure that everything is done in accordance with how it should be done. And so you don't have to worry about any corruption of law, any corruption of politics, or any of that stuff. There's just going to be perfect uh, peace on the earth. And so in uh, verse 32, let's pick this up at uh, verse 31. He says, and when the son of man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them uh, one from the other as a sheep or excuse me, as a shepherd divides his sheep from his goats. And he shall set uh, the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them uh, on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Uh, for when I was hungered, you gave me meat. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. And uh, I was a stranger and you took me in. Uh, and so he goes on there with uh, all of the acts that they, they committed, um, or the proper acts within the tribulation period. Uh, but you see this judgment of sheep and goats. And so going into the uh, millennial kingdom, you have all saved uh, Israel uh, going into the kingdom. And then you have the millennial kingdom spoken of. Go with me over to uh, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. Revelation 24. And we can read from verse 1. And he says there, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent which is called the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them uh, and the judgment was given upon them. 
And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of uh, God. And which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And so you see this uh, literal thousand year reign that's uh, prophesied in the Old Testament. And Israel being able to have this land that's been promised to them. It's going to come and be done in a literal fashion where the, the Lord reigns upon this earth. We uh, debate over the merits of all of these different governmental systems, right? You say, well, well communism is terrible. Well, uh, capitalism and our system of government here in the world is the best that you can get. Well, the best that you can actually get is Jesus sitting on the throne and being able to establish absolute righteousness. And it's what you call a theocracy. There won't be anyone to tell him, well, I think it should be done this way or that way. He knows what way it should be done. And he's going to tell everyone else how it should be done. And it's going to be his way or the highway, uh, as you see. And so um, we see that in the future. We also have um, lost my place in my notes here. Oh, over in... Uh, just citing again over to Romans chapter 11 and verse uh, 26 that we see all of Israel shall be saved and that's a fulfillment of the promise to Israel. Um, but as relating to individuals in Israel and as you look to them uh, and, and how they fit in all of this, again, we see that they're chosen by God under law. They believe uh, in time by God, by grace, through faith. And so as you're looking to anybody Throughout all of the dispensations, they believe in the same way, even Israel. Yet in this one, what's the object? The object for faith is Christ's death, burial, and resurrection on behalf of our sins. So that's what separates it a little. Um, and so you can go over to Galatians 3.28 or cite that to see that they're uh, part of the body of Christ. Now, uh, the plan for the church we see that God has chosen or believers have been chosen by God. And we see that uh, a citation of that over in Second uh, Peter chapter one and verse 10. Now, it's not limited to this, of course, there's several places that show choosing. But we can go to Second uh, Peter chapter one, and verse 10. That's the wrong verse. No, no, it's not. Okay. Uh, pick it up in <clears throat> verse 4. He says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding uh, great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped uh, the corruption that is in the world through lusts. And so, uh, a great promise is made here to us as great grace believers that we can uh, be partakers of the divine nature. And so we are ones that are able to display godliness. And I don't think we, we often realize what a great blessing that is, that you have all three persons of the Godhead indwelling you. And at any time, as you're directing your mind where it should be and they're able to live out through you, that you're showing forth the life of God through your individual bodies. And that's a, a great blessedness that we have. In verse 5, 
And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith uh, virtue and to your virtue, knowledge and to knowledge, temperance or the word for self-control and to self-control, patience and to patience, godliness and to godliness, brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness, uh, love. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he has been purged from his old sins. Now, uh, we talk about blindness, but here, uh, of course, this person is carnal, uh, but you see this short sightedness. And so I'm I have some problems with vision. They haven't been completely diagnosed yet. But as I look far, it's hard for me to see words sometimes. Right. And so things that are right here are a little easier to see. And so I, they might say that I have short sightedness. Right? I can't see it far off. And that's what he's talking about here. <laughs> I'll accept it, Brother Dunn. Although I like to tell people I'm, <laughs> I'm in my prime, I, I like to say, but maybe it is. <laughs> Maybe that's when it starts going downhill for me. <laughs> but he is, uh, can't see afar off, and so he's short-sighted. He's not looking at the big picture. He's not seeing things spiritually in the way that he should. Um, just looking at the fact that uh, of this thing in front of him and forgetting about the fact that you've been purged or cleansed from these old sins or this old sin nature. In verse 10, he says, wherefore, uh, the rather, brethren, giving, uh, uh, give diligence to make your calling and your election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. And so uh, it's not saying here again, a lot of people would come to this and say, see there, if you're not behaving in the way that you should, you're going to lose your salvation. You got to make sure it's it's sure. Well, that's that's settled. The fact is that Christ has died on behalf of your sins. But the question is, how are we going to live it out? Are we going to live it out as ones that are, are living in our flesh and showing forth the, forth the things of the flesh? Or are we going to live it out as ones that are living in the spirit and showing forth the things of the spirit? Uh, and so you see that there. But your election, the fact that you've been chosen at a point in time, you can make that sure. Now, the belief or believing uh, in the gospel uh, we see that this uh, is a work of salvation by faith. Go with me over to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. And as you go there, think about this fact, that if God had not given us the faith to believe, we would not have believed. So if you think of, uh, people like to think of salvation as, as something that they did or I chose God, well, I, you might want to read this scripture if, if you think that. Um, and maybe you'll have a little different perspective. So in, uh, we've been through verses one through four, where he says, this is what you used to be. This uh, comprised the character of who you were prior to salvation. And then in verse four, he goes in to interject two words that clearly state that none of this is of you. It's God that rescued you from a condition that was desperate and you needed his help. In verse four, but God, strong adversative there. And we dealt with one yesterday in, in uh, the context of scripture we were looking at. It says the exact opposite of the thing that you were looking at before there. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead 
in sins, or really their word for trespasses, has quickened us together with Christ by grace you were saved, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show forth the exceeding riches of his grace in us, or in his kindness towards us uh, in Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through what? Faith. And now he's going to go a little bit further. You're saved by grace through faith. And what else does he say? And that, speaking of the faith, not of yourselves. It is the free gift of God. And so you see, if, if God hadn't interjected, chosen you, then called you in time and gave you the gift of faith to believe, you would not have believed the facts of the gospel. And people could stand right in front of you, say them over and over again as many times as you want to, and it would go in one ear and out the other, just like people that you might try to give the gospel to if you haven't been led by the Spirit to do it. If, if you go up to someone, I might try it. Go outside the door here and go down the street and say, hey, did you know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and was buried and rose again? You guys follow me with a camera and see what they say. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, but you see, uh, the facts of the gospel require faith to believe, and that faith comes as a gift or a free gift from God. Now, of course, the facts of the gospel we see over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 4. We'll touch on that more later. But we see uh, that the believer is actually also working out salvation. Now, I'm going to touch on this now, and we're going to come back to these tenses of salvation but suffice it to say for here, know that we were saved at a point in time when we believe the facts of the gospel and we're given that faith to believe. We are being saved right now. And this is what we're looking at as we go over to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. And we shall be saved completely in the future. And so we want to look at a few verses that touch upon that. Go with me over to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. You can even see a parallel to this in chapter 1 where he says in verse 6, uh, one of my favorite verses, He who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. So he didn't just start a work of salvation and end it when you believe the facts of the gospel. There's still salvation going on all the way to the time that we receive those full contents. Now, if anybody believes that they're completely saved right now, I want to... Uh, uh, go walk in front of a car <laughs> and see what happens. That body is not going to look so saved, right? Or go and uh, uh, try to make sure you don't sin. Let me let me follow you around and see if you don't do any sinning for your whole life. And I would guess, uh, as the pastor asked many people a lot of times to write down what they've done in the last month, and I don't think anyone's taken you up on the offer yet, have they? Okay, well, <laughs> I, I think that would continue. Because why? We all sin. And there's a point in time that we're all going to, that ugly sin nature is going to show up. And it's in the realm of our soul where that sin nature makes its, its uh, assault on us. And so we see that there. And we pick this one up in verse 9. Well, even go back a little further. Uh, pick it up in verse uh, 5. He says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men 
and being found in the fashion of, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even unto death, even uh, uh, a cross kind of death or the death of a cross. Uh, wherefore, God also hath exalted him and given him a name above or which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, uh, or beloved, I don't know where I threw that brethren in from, uh, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so a lot of people will read and just stop there, right? You got to work out your own salvation. You got to do it. It's a lot of self-effort, right? Well, you forget <laughs> to read the next verse, which kind of explains it a little bit further. For it is God which is working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So even in that, <clears throat> even as God has given us, and I like the analogy that the pastor used one time because he had my son out uh, doing manual labor with him. <laughs> and he's carrying wood around the yard and everything. And of course, he's bearing the brunt of it as my son was very young at this time. And he allowed uh, Braylon just to carry a little portion of that wood. And so at the end of the day, uh, what does Braylon say? He says, man, look at what we did, Grandpa, <laughs> right? Like he had a big part in it. And that's an excellent, excellent analogy of what God is doing with us. He's doing the lion's share of the work. He's pulling the load. And he allows us to participate in what he's doing just a little bit in this point in time where we're directing our minds to who we are in Christ. And then the Holy Spirit's coming in and leading us into everything that God desires for us to do. And that's how you get to participate. God has already done all the heavy lifting in his son, Jesus Christ. He's given you the Holy Spirit to direct through everything else. And so it's not you. It's not even you and your salvation right now. It's God that's working in you, uh, both to be willing and to be doing of his good pleasure. Uh, and so that's uh, what we'd call present tense salvation. And again, we're going to look at these in a little bit more detail a little bit further down the line. Uh, but then the last piece is, is the complete salvation of the grace believer. And so we've been saved in the realm of our spirit. Our souls and our bodies have not been saved. Now, Brother Don cited my terrible eyesight because I'm getting old. <laughs> well, my eyesight wouldn't be failing me if my body were saved, right? Because we look forward to having new bodies that are going to be able to do things that these bodies never could. Pastor's doing a good job on, on Wednesday nights of going through and citing some of these things. Uh, shout out to you. You owe me after. <laughs> uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 15, we see this complete salvation. And again, these aren't limited uh, to these few verses. There are many places that you can go and see further evidence. But we just want to call your attention to them here. And Paul's looking forward uh, here to uh, the Bema Seat Judgment. And he says, let's pick it up in... Um, verse 10 he says according to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder 
I have laid the foundation, another build it thereon, but let every man take heed how he build it thereupon. For other foundation can no uh, man lay than that which is laid, uh, which is Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. Boy, I'm dyslexic tonight. Verse 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And so uh, you see uh, present tense salvation here leading to future salvation at the rapture. These things that we've done in these bodies, they're going to be not our bodies judged, not us judged. Our works are going to be judged and what we've done uh, in these bodies. Verse 14, if any man's work shall abide, which he uh, hath built thereupon, he shall receive reward. Uh, if any man's work shall uh, be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so is by fire. And so you see this future salvation of the individual. If we were completely saved, is there a point in time where we shall be saved in the future? No, I submit to you there wouldn't be. Uh, there would be no need uh, of any of what we're going to see in the future. So the next point we want to come to is the salvation uh, prior to Christ. And so we look back in time, and we're not going to go through the whole Old Testament or through uh, all of the scriptures, but we just want to quickly take a snapshot of these different ways that people uh, were saved all throughout time. And so you see uh, the salvation of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were not born into sin. Um, and so they were, as it were, untried and there was no no sin with either one of them. Now, why is it different that we're born needing a, a need for salvation? Even those little cute babies that you guys see, I know uh, Brother Scott and Jill, Sister Jill, you guys are brand new grandparents and those babies look adorable. But they got little baby sin natures, too, <laughs> inside of them. <laughs> They've got them. And even my son, Cohen, well, he's a little older now, and you're starting to see his little baby sin nature <laughs> run amok. Uh, but that's that's a fact. <laughs> and I had that baby sin nature, too, <laughs> at a point in time. <laughs> my, my mother says I have a grown-up sin nature, <laughs> so there you go. Well, why were we born with the need for salvation? I think I heard it a little bit both ways here. So, yes, we were born after Adam. And because we came from Adam and Adam sinned, we we're born with that need for salvation. Adam was not born with such need, I'll have you know. He, did, he was untried. He was, as it were, uh, a lot of people will say innocent, but innocent presumes that uh, you've not done anything wrong. There was no opportunity for him to do anything wrong. So he was untried. And so we see that Adam was created from the ground and received li uh, life directly from God's br uh, breath over in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. We see that Eve was built from Adam and Adam was created in the likeness and the image of God over in uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And we're going to run through these pretty quickly because we've kind of touched on them before. Uh, we see that uh, that word for likeness is uh, in rationality of thought. Uh, a lot of people will say that we're uh, in the image of God, and it, it's not true. It's simply not true. 
Adam was born in the image of God. Uh, we have rational thought like God does, but we're not born in the image of God. I think it's quite blasphemous for us to presume that how we look is, is the image of how God uh, would look. I, I would never presume to say su- such a thing. Um, we also see that Adam and Eve, lack, uh, Eve's lack of shame of their nakedness display uh, the innocence of their understanding. So as you go to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25, as well as Genesis 3, 7, you see that. And then Adam was blessed uh, by God and provided dominion over all of creation. We see that in uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, and that God uh, blessed Adam or blessed him in that he extended benefits to both Adam and Eve to provide for their happiness. And God provided uh, for Adam and Eve to subdue all creation uh, to themselves as part of that blessing. Now, Adam and Eve uh, were created in a relationship with God. And so, as you see, uh, they were able to walk and talk and have an actual relationship in person with God. They didn't find it uh, appalling until they had, had sinned, right? And then they're going to hide themselves. But this was would have been a regular action of things they would have done uh, to be able to walk and talk with God. And so God gave Adam all responsibility to tend the garden or to keep the garden. We see in uh, Genesis 2.15. And God gave Adam the prohibition of eating uh, from the tree in Genesis 2.17. God also gave Adam the woman based on his understanding of Adam's loneliness. Remember, he said, it is not good that man should be alone. And he's speaking directly to Adam there. And so he recognized something with Adam that these animals couldn't fulfill. They weren't going to cut it, right? Him just existing and being able to name the animals, and I'm sure... Uh, can't uh, be dogmatic about it, but you don't see anything odd when Eve is talking to the serpent, right? And so there's uh, a thought that Adam probably talked to other animals. It's not just the the uh, the serpent, but that was not like having a relationship like someone or with someone that's like unto him. And God recognized that need uh, within him. We also see that God, by implication, walked and talked with Adam on a regular basis. And so, again, over in three, uh, Genesis 3.8, we see that he came calling for him, and there was nothing out of the way about that uh, conversation. Uh, point three, we see that Adam and Eve's unrighteousness created the need for a rectification of that unrighteousness. Now, this we want to touch upon. And so we see Adam and Eve's unrighteousness. Eve, I will have you know, transgressed by eating the fruit. And we can see this from Scripture. Go with me over to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. Now, a lot of people believe that um, God probably gave this commandment to uh, both to Adam and Eve. And Adam took it a step further and said, hey, don't. Eat of that tree. Don't even touch it. It's like your uh, kids. You tell them something to make sure they're never going to do this thing that they're not supposed to do. Uh, Because we see the words from God were to Adam, don't eat of the tree. But then when Eve said, said it to Satan, she said, don't eat of the tree. Neither you touch it lest you die. Right. And so uh, a lot of people believe that Adam probably added on that that last part. Uh, But in in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, we see Eve transgressed by eating the fruit. Uh, Pick it up in verse... Did I get the wrong verse? 2 Corinthians. Oh, I'm in 
311. Telling you my dyslexia is running rampant here tonight. I pick it up in verse 1. It says, Would to God that you uh, could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Uh, that is in Christ. And this is not the verse I wanted. This is Second Timothy. Yep, two fifteen. There are three. Yeah, two fifteen. Sorry, adjust that in your notes. Okay, so adjust your notes there. I've already adjusted mine. In verse uh, 12, he says, But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over a man, but to be in silence. Uh, For Adam was formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness uh, with sobriety. And so you see here um, a citation of the Old Testament just to make the argument that Paul's trying to make there. Uh, but this idea that Eve uh, transgressed by the eating of the fruit. Uh, we also see that Adam uh, sinned. Uh, well, I think I stated that and I was trying to say it. Uh, he trespassed sin and transgressed by eating of the fruit. Go with me over to Romans chapter 5 and verse 14. There's a lot of uh, sirens out here tonight. <laughs> and we can pick it up in verse 12. And we've been here a couple of times and we want to keep emphasizing the fact here that this is proof that your individual sin is not what causes you uh, uh, to have died spiritually. It's your birth being born uh, from Adam. And this is pointed out here in the fact that the sins weren't even accounted against people all the way from Adam to Moses. And what happened? The results of sin still happen to individuals. Uh, theoretically, if, if they weren't counted against them, those people should have lived, right? Uh, and so you see that here. Pick it up in verse 12. He says, Wherefore, as by one man, speaking of Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sin. And really there, what you don't see is in this heiress, uh, it means it happened at a point in time. All men sinned at a point in time. And he's going to develop that even further. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. And so what's similar about Adam and similar about the one that was to come? Imputation. 
Adam's sin was imputed to us and Christ's uh, righteousness is going to be imputed to those that believe. Um, Pick it up in verse 15. He says, but not as the offense, uh, so also the free gift. For if through the offense of one man, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, uh, which is by one man, Jesus Christ has abounded unto many. Uh, And not as it was by one that sinned, uh, so that the gift for the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is by many offenses unto justification or a declaration of righteousness. And so you see, again, as we pointed out before and coming back here, and I told you <laughs> we'd, be, we'd be back here again, uh, this work that Adam did was passed to you through imputation. The work that Christ did was accounted to you also by imputation and undoes the work that Adam did. Uh, we also see that God changes relationship with Adam as a result of Adam's sin. And so Adam and Eve were stripped of their uh, garment of light. And so if we went back to Genesis, let's go back there really quick. I'm alluding to a lot of scripture that probably should touch upon just a bit. But in Genesis chapter 3. And we can pick it up in verse one. He says there, now the serpent was more subtle than any of the beasts of the field, which the Lord had made. And his or and he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now, he, it truly is subtle because he's saying not exactly what God says. And we see this with Satan all the time. He just changes one little word there. Did he say you shouldn't eat of every tree? And he knows what he's after. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of every fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave it unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked. And this word for naked, you can even translate in the Hebrew, stripped. They knew that they were stripped of something. And they sewed together fig leaves uh, and made aprons themselves. And so then you see uh, the voice of God coming into the garden. Uh, But you see this idea of the loss of something there. There was something there before. uh, And I believe that it was the glory uh, of these individuals that shone around them. And when they sinned and sinned this sin, that glory dropped or was uh, stripped away from them. And so you see the loss of that there. Uh, we also see Adam's normal relationship with God was replaced with fear. And so in verse 10, it says, and he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. And I was what? Afraid because I knew I was naked and I hid myself. And so no longer was he in a good relationship with God where he's conversing with him. As you and I can converse here today, he was in a fearful place that he had not uh, previously been. 
and God gave punishments to Adam and Eve uh, for their unrighteousness. And so you see immediate punishments and future punishments that are given. Um, we'll, I just want to get through some of this stuff. We'll probably come back and look at some of these next week um, on point number three.